Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The battle is now joined on many fronts. We will not waver. We will not tire. We will not falter. And we will not fail. Peace and freedom will prevail. We already have service members doing their duty in Afghanistan today whose parents served in the same war. We have service members who are not yet born when our nation was attacked in 9-11. War in Afghanistan was never meant to be a multi-generational undertaking. Yeah, it's uh, like... Was that the president's grandfather speaking? I um, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm beating up on uh, President Biden because I'm not. Uh, multiple presidents should have been more uh, honest about where we were on this thing. I mean, by the end of Bush's eight years, we should have realized we're not rebuilding Afghanistan into some sort of democracy that will be the envy of the world. It's not going to happen. Um, and certainly if Bush didn't do it, Obama should have in his eight years. Um, Trump wanted to get out, and the military fought him on it. Biden says, and I understand why he says he doesn't want to pass this on to a fifth president, but uh-huh. the line alone of we've got kids of people who served in Afghanistan, well, my brother was in the army in Germany, and his uncle, who's older than my dad, um, uh, uh, my dad's brother, served in Germany, too. That doesn't mean anything. Same base. I mean, it doesn't and mean... indeed, a- <laughs> your niece could grow up and serve honorably in Germany. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. I no. mean, if 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 if, you know... Um, so that alone doesn't make any 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 sense. No, and I think, and you know, it's funny. Uh, just listen to that clip. It struck me. We could do a l- roughly 11-hour podcast uh, assembling uh, learned experts and thinkers and, and scratch the surface of the Afghanistan question. But I think one of the key aspects of it that you have to recognize, and I'm not trying to lead folks in one direction or another because I have just mountains of ambivalence against about our presence in Afghanistan. But the one key fact, and Jack, you brought this out uh, last hour, is that it is in no way a war and hasn't been for quite some time. So the discussion of ending the war, uh, what war? Yeah, We we have a counterterrorism quick strike force stationed in Afghanistan. Which might be a very good idea. And, as yeah. CIA- and, and we back up the Afghan government, which is, frankly, weak as hell and, and, and will probably be gone fairly soon anyway. Uh, we haven't had a soldier die in Afghanistan since uh, late in Trump's um, presidency. But, I mean, very few deaths over the last couple of years. Uh, we're not, it's, an, it's not like back in the days of Restrepo where we we're you know out in the middle of rocks going out and battling the Taliban every day. Why we were doing mm-hmm. that, that's a, that's a horror that that was ever going on. But that's not what's going on now. I I, I don't know. I, I heard the CIA director say, you know, frankly, we're going to have a lot less intelligence on the ground in terms of being able to, uh, you know, know what's going on over there. That's clearly got to be true. So it seems to me a know-nothing, but just based on the information I've taken out, having a couple of thousand people in a safe base keeping an eye on the country f- for the foreseeable future seems like a good idea to me. And just keeping an eye on the region, too, because that lawless region of Pakistan is significant, too. Stop calling it a war. I don't know what you do. Some president should have come out and and given an address to the nation and pivoted from war to, you know, keeping an eye on the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. And that's not that complex a a message to deliver, either. Sean, play us uh, clip 22. This is the CIA director, uh, William Burns, CIA. 
When the time comes for the U.S. military to withdraw, the U.S. government's ability to collect and act on threats will diminish. That's simply a fact. Okay. I know what we sh- do. You want to go with some of Biden's clips sure. that he explains the uh, the strategy and why we're doing this? Go ahead with the uh, thirty, Sean. I said, among with others, we'd follow Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell if need be. That's exactly what we did, and we got him. It took us close to ten years to put President Obama's commitment to, uh, into form, and that's exactly what happened. Osama bin Laden was gone. That was 10 years ago. Think about that. We delivered justice to bin Laden a decade ago, and we've stayed in Afghanistan for a decade since. Yeah, well, only four of those years were Trump. So what were the other six years that we were in Afghanistan while you were vice president? Of course, he, all reports are, he had been arguing with President Obama throughout that period. Biden wanted to get out that whole time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Obama was uh, listening to whoever and thought we ought to stay there. Let's uh, hear 31 32 back to back, Sean. With the terror threat now in many places, keeping thousands of troops grounded and concentrated in just one country at a cost of billions each year makes little sense to me and to our leaders. We cannot continue the cycle of extending or expanding our military presence in Afghanistan, hoping to create ideal conditions for the withdrawal and expecting a different result. I'm now the fourth United States president to preside over American troop presence in Afghanistan. Two Republicans, two Democrats. I will not pass this responsibility onto a fifth. I've concluded that it's time to end America's longest war. It's time for American troops to come home. Yeah, it's so clearly obvious. As we mentioned last hour, I, it, I've, I've known this, but I had never heard it anybody put it so uh, perfectly. If you look at it in the framework of a war, then it's very difficult to explain being there. And it hasn't been a war for a very long time. If you get out of that framework, then it's a whole different conversation. And he said right there, ending the longest war. It's not a war. It's not. To call it the longest war is silly. Right, right, and we have, sure. and presidents from both parties have been. The media, on uh, both uh, liberal media and conservative media, call it the longest war. Everybody's just bought into that whole notion, and it's, that's just not what's going on. Now, it's uh, no news, really, that Lindsey Graham, who is a uh, interventionist, he's a project American force over all over the world. Place some would call him a warmonger. But he made a pretty eloquent case for keeping that quick strike force in country. Clip number 40, please. I want the American people to know when it comes to Afghanistan, there are no great options. This is a place that's complicated and dangerous without a lot of great options. But the options are high risk, medium risk, and low risk to the American homeland. President Biden, unfortunately, has chosen the highest risk option available, which is to leave no matter what. Well, I'll tell you what, any big terrorist attack that can be tied to Afghanistan at all comes out of there. You know, uh, blow up one of our ships like the coal uh, was back in the day. Uh, Biden could pay a heck of a price for this. Yeah, I'll let uh, Lindsey speak for himself. One more clip, number 43, please. The result of this decision today by President Biden is to cancel an insurance policy 
that in my view would prevent another 9-11 because I believe with all my heart and soul after 50-something trips to the region that a few thousand Americans watching over there would make it hard for al-Qaeda and ISIS to reorganize to hit us over here. So his belief is that Afghanistan will once again become a hotbed of Islamic fundamentalist uh, activity. Absolutely will. Groups will train, they will plot, they will build bombs, they will build capabilities. And uh, then he really brought it home. I had almost forgotten about this uh, clip. This is the uh, this is the drop the mic. 46, please. What I heard today from President Biden is we're withdrawing because it's been too long. Withdrawing because America is tired. I can tell America that you may be tired of fighting radical Islam, they are not tired of fighting you. That if we leave Afghanistan under the conditions being proposed by the Biden administration, just as sure as I'm standing here, what happened in Iraq will happen in Afghanistan, but it would be worse. It. I've had the same question for almost 20 years and still don't know the answer. I hear different things from different very smart people. Does the Taliban have any interest in attacking the United States? No, no. I think the consensus is pretty strong that that no, not directly. Well, how, uh, more specifically, do they care enough to keep Al Qaeda out because they don't want a hell brought down on them if a, an attack is launched from there? The Taliban is not going to put together an operation, but do they? But, but are, are they didn't care that uh, they knew Al Qaeda was out to get us, and they certainly didn't mind Al Qaeda being there. So you're complicit in the crime. Mm-hmm. Um, will, ta- will the Taliban make the? determination, hey, we get to run a narco state, because it's a narco state like Colombia was back in the, uh, the 80s and 90s, you know, mm-hmm. with Poppy, poppy and all fields, that. exactly. Um, yeah. uh, do we get to run a narco state, and as long as we keep uh, Al-Qaeda out and nobody attacks America, we can do this forever, for generations, mm-hmm. and nobody's yeah. going to say a word, because nobody and cares meanwhile, about we're, Meanwhile, we're poisoning the West. That's, that's what I'm hoping is the calculation is the Taliban leaders say, hey, look, you hear a word of any Al-Qaeda in this country... Get, let me know. We got to get them out of here. Yeah, that's the trillion dollar question whether that is their attitude or not. Lindsey Graham seems to believe that they will go soft on fundamentalist uh, Muslim groups within their country because they're ideological brethren. You know, the Taliban has never been expansionist, really. They just want to rule that part of the godforsaken chunk of the globe. They are um, among the worst people that have ever lived on the planet, the Taliban. Oh, yeah, they're horrific. They are absolutely horrific as a, as a the political party, as a system of beliefs. On the other hand, they are very, very soft and indeed sympathetic to those who are expansionist, who want to bring down uh, the great Satan. And so that's the trillion-dollar question. What is their attitude going forward? And is it worth it to have an exterminator live in your spare bedroom at great expense? Or do you just treat it occasionally, and then, you know, if there's an outbreak, you you come in with the heavy guns? I hope either Pompeo did or uh, a Blinken or both of them as secretaries of state said to the Taliban leaders behind closed doors, look, we'll leave you alone. But anything comes out of here and attacks the United States, we are going to bomb the crap out of you again. Yes, I'm sure that was stated. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Your thoughts uh, via text 415-295-KFTC, or if you want to email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. You're going to think we're trying to jazz up to make more exciting, more interesting, more controversial the new curriculum in California schools. We are not. We're going to report it to you dead neutrally and let you judge how crazy it is. Don't go away. Oh, boy. Armstrong and Getty. 
Armstrong and Getty Show. Oh, boy. Get us on the air. I think we're, we're are are we? we on the air. I think we, are hello. we, Michael? Check Point to me if we're on the air. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> Derek Chauvin is about to testify. What? This is a legal Hail Mary. Really, really surprising. Uh, breaking news. Derek Chauvin, it is my decision not to testify. Okay. Yeah! That's why he had a microphone in his hand. He announced that he is not going to testify. The judge is saying something now. Can we pot us up and see what the judge is saying? If we can kind of outline uh, the topics and if you wanted to address formally uh, the decision regarding this newly discovered evidence. Derek Chauvin has invoked his Fifth Amendment privilege. That was all he said. I have questions. And now lawyers are talking, and I think that's it. So what? What do you? Uh, but that's that's so strange because if his attorney wasn't going to call him, why would it even come up? I don't know. You don't have to declare a witness ain't going to testify. They just don't. Right. So uh, so. Are what you newly think- discovered evidence are we talking about? I don't know. Are you thinking there's a chance that? Uh, th- his lawyer was trying to saying he should, and then. Chauvin said, no, I'm not going to, and they got into I have no idea. I'm completely perplexed. If somebody can dig into this and figure what's going on, help the hosts out. The hosts are, are they were dangling in the wind out here. Seeing if I can find anything about the new evidence, but yeah. that seems to be the, the missing variable So here. all the cable news channels and us went crazy when uh, Derek Chauvin was there with a microphone in his hand wondering what's, what's about to happen, and he just said, I will not testify. I'm invoking and in my court, amendment he right. had a mic in his hand? Yeah. I don't understand what's going on. Or he's at the microphone. Oh, okay. But uh, hmm. I'll be danked. There you go. What the hell? Well, All right, now I'm mystified. Hey, can you uh, bring up the, the got a civil rights attorney up on the cable news there? See what this person out. I think that it would have been unwise for Chauvin to take the stand. You can't just throw your client up there. Putting a client on the stand has to be part of an orchestrated trial strategy. And the trial strategy the defense has chosen to go with, where they're simply slinging mud at George Floyd. And we heard some rather ridiculous testimony from the expert yesterday about, for example, whether or not the exhaust from a vehicle might have contributed to George Floyd's death when he couldn't even specify whether or not the vehicle was on. I'm not surprised that Derek Chauvin is choosing not to take the stand because I think his testimony would potentially hurt him a lot more okay. than it would help. All, All right. right. That, that does, doesn't can answer anybody the, just report fact? That does not answer the question of um, why did he make the announcement? I'll, I'll make an announcement. I'm not going to testify either. <laughs> Coward. If you'd like to go to coverage. I didn't hear that, that the defense attorney tried to blame uh, uh, exhaust as some of the problem. Um, some people I like have been saying the defense has been just getting killed in the last day. I haven't watched that much of it. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't. No, just highlights. But, um, you know, you, you throw as much stuff out there as you can because all you need to do, as you keep saying, is get one person to have reasonable doubt. One person out of 12. Mm-hmm. And maybe the exhaust, you know, tips them that one little bit over to where they were leaning that direction anyway. You never know. Yeah, yeah. What the what the heck has happened? New York Times. Now of all times, you're going to paywall me. I've subscribed for years, even though you're you bastard liberal pansies. All right. Yeah. So anyway, that's that. We'll let you know yeah. when we know. Yeah, we'll we'll figure it out in the next couple of minutes. Unfortunately, we do not have time to dig into the 
uh, rather the shocking. That, the fact that Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez are, have made an announcement about their relationship? No, and I would have been delighted to have finished that sentence on my own. As uh, I, I don't care if the two oh, of them are on fire. I, that's I hope they're saying. not. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> We'd like to announce we're on fire. <laughs> Oh, a guy who is not only on one season of The Bachelor as The Bachelor, but he was also one of the studs on The Bachelorette has announced he doesn't even like girls. What? So evidently, one of the, the Bachelor is not an accurate <laughs> documentary on how you find love. One of The Bachelors was gay the whole time? Well, kind of. See, that's the thing. He also has a history of declaring that he's absolutely not gay. But now he's decided he absolutely is gay. So I don't so. keep you hanging. Uh, A-Rod and J-Lo have announced the, uh, in a joint statement that they are splitting up. You didn't leave so. me hanging. I don't care. <laughs> if they, let me, I, I don't know if you two have thought about this. If they can't make it work, what chance, hold on, do any of the I rest guess. of us have? Wow. It's a valid point. Valid point. The day love died, April 15th, 2021. Sad. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Joe Getty, who almost went to law school, has the latest from the Derek Chauvin-George Floyd trial. Yes, Jack. In in moments, the radical Marxist curriculum being taught in California public schools. Stay with us. But, yeah, now I get it. Um, this was uh, outside the presence of the jury. His uh, Derek Chauvin's lawyer is asking him in front of the judge about his decision on not testifying. Judge Cahill also discussed the jury instructions with Chauvin. He says the jury will be told that Chauvin has a right not to testify in the case, and they should not hold it against him. Chauvin said he wants the judge to read that instruction to the jury. Uh, the judge questioned Derek Chauvin to make sure that it is his decision not to testify and that the decision is entirely voluntary. This is to prevent any f- claim in the future that he was ill-advised by his defense mm. or that his failure to testify was the result of an ineffective lawyer. So they're just trying to uh, prevent an appeal on that basis. So anyway, that's the uh, that's the only reason he was talking into the mic. And again, the jury was not in the room. Coming up later, we'll uh, put side by side these new Twitter feeds of homeless camps in various parts of the country. At the same time, you've got Twitter feeds pointing out businesses that can't get anybody to work there. They can't stay open because they can't get anybody to come to work there. Been advertising We've made it effortless jobs. to be a junkie. How do you have the world's? Uh, how do you have the highest homeless population at the same time as you're having the high highest? We can't get anybody to work at our store. Period. How does that go at the same time? You know what's funny about that question, Jack? Is the folks listening to the show? Uh, they understand it perfectly. Sure, I mean, it's ABC one two three. Yeah, they could explain it to a child, and yet to a certain segment of the popula- population. Uh, you couldn't explain it at all. You couldn't possibly get them to comprehend it. They're so soaked in ideology. Speaking of which, uh, Chris Russo, uh, I'm sorry, Rufo, uh, Christopher J. Rufo is a journalist. He's doing just terrific work on exposing the Marxist agenda in critical race theory and so-called social justice in our schools. And I understand what I am asking or what am I, uh, what I am suggesting. 
to folks in, uh, this is about Cal Unicornia, but it could be any state in the union. If you become aware that your kids are being taught this stuff in schools, you've got to get them out of that school. Or you've got to somehow stop that being taught in school. And I understand what I am asking and how uh, troublesome that can be or expensive or life disrupting or whatever to move. You cannot subject your kids to this indoctrination. Here's what I'm talking about. California public schools are embarking on a new experiment, Rufo writes. Education is social justice. The State Department of Education improved an ethnic studies model curriculum, and individual school districts have begun to implement programs that advocate decolonizing the United States and liberating students from capitalism, patriarchy, and settler colonialism. This will likely come as a surprise to most California residents, writes Rufo, who may be familiar with some of the movement's euphemisms like ethnic studies, educational equity, culturally responsive teaching, but they don't understand the philosophical and political premises of these programs. But details are emerging. Uh, Rufo got some documents from the Santa Clara County Office of Education's Ethnic Studies Initiative, and it paints an unbelievable picture of the ethnic studies uh, curriculum and the activists leading the charge. According to the documents and the sources within the district, the Office of Education held a series of teacher training sessions on this stuff. Um, it encourages teachers to inject left-wing politics into the classroom and to hide controversial materials from parents. Whew. Jack, you have kids in school right now. How do you like the fact that the administration is saying to the teachers, important the parents don't hear what That's we're teaching? just unbelievable. Isn't that a confession? Well, really? Of course, of course it is. So according to the slides and notes from the session, the presentation begins with a land acknowledgement that the, the adults did and that the kids are supposed to do, claiming that Santa Clara County and the public school system, quote, occupy the unceded territory of the Muwekma Ohlone Nation, the sovereign nation and original people of the skies, land, and waters. The premise of this ritual, which has become common, uh, I'm sorry, common in progressive organizations, is that the American government, founded by white settlers, is an illegitimate colonial power that should return the land to the Native American tribes. It's being taught to your kids. Next, Jorge Pacheco, president of the California Latino School Boards Association uh, and advisor for the new ethnic studies model curriculum, presented the movement's conceptual framework. Pacheco explained that the ethnic studies curriculum is based on the work of Brazilian Marxist Paulo Freire who invented the concept of the pedagogy of the oppressed, which holds that students must be educated to understand their oppression and develop the skills to challenge and eventually overthrow their oppressors. Pacheco acknowledged that the Marxist underpinnings to ethnic studies, quote, scare people away, but insists that teachers must be grounded in the correct politics to educate students. And then they go on to argue, the same guy, this is the guy who was one of the advisors to form this, argued that the U.S. is a political regime based on a settler colonialism, which he describes as a system of oppression that occupies and usurps land, labor, and resources from one group of people to benefit another. The settler colonialist regime, he continues, is not just a vicious thing of the past, but one that exists as long as settlers are living on appropriated land. The white colonialist regime of the United States is a parasitic system responsible for domestic violence, drug overdoses, and other social problems. In a related PowerPoint slide, Pacheco presented examples of this oppression, including men exploiting women, white people exploiting people of, of color, and rich people exploiting poor people. Now, I can get into the solutions that they're teaching your kids, but you can probably guess more or less what they are. So one of the advantages that comes with age, and there are very few, 
It's mostly downside. Um, one of the advantages comes with age is just a better perspective on uh, time and all that sort of thing. And uh, like when you're younger, you'd think, well, you know, how much could this change the country? How long would it take? But 12 years goes by in the blink of an eye. And you've got somebody that started their schooling and went through this in, their entire schooling and is now out as an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this view of the world. And, I mean, it could change the culture pretty damn fast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It already has. As you can see, you know, companies cowed into giving $100 million to Black Lives Matter, which is an avowedly Marxist organization. Well, how many people have, uh, you know, 20-something kids that they just can't believe the things that they think? Well, this is why they think these things. They've been taught right. these things by teachers. Listen to some of the uh, component parts of the systems of oppression. White supremacy, and of course everything is white supremacy. Patriarchy, whatever that is, classism, genocide, private property. Private property is part of the system of oppression. This is straight Marxism. God is part of the systems of oppression. Do you understand, folks? And again, this is starting in California, as so many sick ideas do, but radiating outwards. Do you understand your kids are being taught by their teachers or about to be? That the idea of private property, which is enshrined in the Constitution, the uh, in the Declaration of Independence, is part of a white supremacist system of oppression. Any belief in God is a white supremacist system of oppression. And it's so troubling for kids, and I've already had a little bit of this, is when a kid comes home and says, this is what they taught me at school, and you tell them, no, that's wrong. What does that do to their, that's got to spin their head around. It's like, well, okay, no, I don't know what. I mean... My teacher's saying, I mean, I've been, you know, taught to respect and listen to my teacher and education is important and everything. Now you're telling me that what they're telling, what they're telling me at school is completely wrong. They're telling me you're wrong. What does a kid do with that? Right. Not only wrong, but evil. And the kid's getting that message from both sides. What you're learning in school is not only wrong, but it's evil. And they're responding, your parents are only saying that because they are white supremacist kids. You know, we start the uh, the second segment of the show with the freedom-loving quote of the day every morning. And uh, they were a couple from the great French author Voltaire today. And they were, uh, it was a pair of them, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities, which is the history of the 20th century, communism, Marxism, the 20th centuries, in the 20th century. And the other one was no snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible. So what we're seeing here is the systematic indoctrinating of the kids into a Marxist ideology, and once they are sucked in and made to believe the absurdity that Marxism could ever work, then they're going to be asked to commit atrocities. Now, they might not be actual atrocities at first, but how do you like the idea of your parents are white supremacists and the only reason they're resisting these teachings is because they're racist? That's damn near an atrocity to tell my child that at school I paid for with my tax money. Boy, how do we fight this as a society? You know, your idea for individuals is to get your kid into a private school. That's fine, but most people aren't going to. So the bulk of children in America are going to be educated with this crap. And, uh, you know, so what you do for your kid is fantastic if you get them into private school where they're not teaching this. But if most kids believe this, we got some rough years ahead of us Yeah, if we can't figure out a way to stop it. At one final uh, note, and there is no cover-up unless there is a crime. And I would say, I would, I would suggest, I would state proudly that this curriculum is a crime. Listen to this: district guidelines and expectations are barriers. We have to be extra careful about what is being said. 
since we can't just say something controversial now that we're in people's homes because of the remote learning. So we've got to be really careful to keep this stuff under wraps. That is happening in your schools. I'm sorry to bring you this news. Sickening. That's something. I know. I never thought I would see this crap. I mean, to teach a more balanced view of American history, the ups and downs, our ideals and our failure to live up to our ideals. That's great. That's fine. I'm in favor of that. And then compare it and contrast it with other countries, please. There were more slaves in other parts. There are more slaves right now than there ever were dreamed of in the American uh, heartland or mainland, I should say. Um, just a, a little perspective, but Marxists have taken over the classrooms. This is shocking. The scare you campaign about the vaccine, particularly the J&J vaccine, continues, uh, which is uh, maddening. Um, but we have to get to the bachelor turned out, turns out one of the bachelors was gay. That's a real, yeah, yeah. He was not only a bachelor, but he was one of the would-be uh, bows for the bachelorette. One that we know of. No, yeah, exactly. Wait, so you're, it seems like an odd choice. Hmm. Anyway, that and other stuff on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. According to a recent poll, 52% of Americans are not at all interested in having an open relationship, said the pollster. All right, doesn't hurt to ask. <laughs> so, <Wow>. USA Today, <laughs> front page, what's causing blood clots after J&J vaccine? And a headline and picture that cover half the page, like it's the biggest crisis going on in America. It's all dumb that we stopped giving out that vaccine. It's just moronic. And uh, so some of the pushback, well, this is only 5% of the vaccines going out. So I did a little quick math on, so we got uh, three point some million vaccines were given out a day. If roughly 5% of those were supposed to be J&J, that's 165,000 people that didn't get vaccinated every day. And because of the uniqueness of the J&J, that's fully vaccinated. It's a one-shot deal. Mm-hmm. We're now, what, three days into it? So we're about a half a million people that would have been fully vaccinated that haven't been yet. And it's going to continue from here on out. Soon we'll be at a million people that would have been vaccinated that haven't been vaccinated for right. no good reason whatsoever. Well, and if you want to alone and and I'm I'm basing my opinion here from uh, emails and texts and such that I got from friends and advisors in the medical community, but they said, "Listen, it does look like the the J&J vaccine probably caused that small number of clots among women, hey, birthing fine. aged women. Just eliminate women of that age or women in general and and give dudes the J&J uh, thing. They everybody seems to be fine. Um well, virtually everybody's fine anyway. But yeah, just just give it to dudes and it'd be fine. Or just give them the other ones, and let's just move on. But, yeah, it's, it, it strikes me as an overreaction, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Colton Underwood, former star of The Bachelor, is opening up about his sexuality, telling the world he's a gay fella. I've ran for myself for a long time. I've hated myself for a long time, and I'm gay, and... I came to terms with that earlier this year and have been processing it. And um, the next step in all of this was sort of letting people know. I'm still nervous, but I'm like the happiest and healthiest I've ever been in my life. And that means the world to me. 
Well, did he come to terms with the fact that he's gay before he was on The Bachelor or after he was on The Bachelor? Substantially after. And okay. he goes into, you know, self-hatred and thinking of dying and the rest well, of it. That's terrible. I, I feel bad for well, the, and the then, young man. In the year 2021, I assume he's pretty young. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that there are people that are still tortured by that. Well, Jack, as Bachelor fans know, Colton's virginity became a hot topic when he appeared on Becca Kufrin's season of The Bachelorette in 2018. Of course, this storyline continued when he became The Bachelor for season 23, but there was a lot more drama than that. He actually threatened to leave the show midway through, probably because he's gay. He wound up choosing Cassie Randolph, though the two never got engaged. Probably because he's gay. And as we reported, had a very messy breakup, I'm guessing, because he's gay. Well, that host of The Bachelor is a good-looking guy. I'm surprised you just didn't turn to him at some point with the rose and say, you know, will you marry me? I realize this is a little, you know, unconventional, but uh, in his Good Morning America interview, Colton said he was sorry for things ended with Cassie. He remembers thanking God he was once picked as the bachelor because he believed his prayers to be straight had been answered. So he's praying okay. to be straight and thinking, so, oh, good. You put me on with a bunch of hot chicks. I am totally going to go straight. I will be straight. I'm, that's what I need. Well, yeah, if, 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 if anything could straighten you out, you'd think that would. Um, also worth and, noting, and straight, Jack. But, you know, all right, whatever. I don't want to get make it sound like I, I'm making it sound like right and wrong. Straight Col- is a is the preferred term, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Colton stated in his March 2020 memoir. Now this is a year ago. Well, if you read bachelor memoirs, you have uh, you do have different reading habits than me. And as you've said many times, can I buy your time, please? Can course, I buy your free time? I could put it to use. Of course, I was reading John ba- John Boehner's book last night, and plenty of you would think that's a waste of time. So, uh, In his 2020 memoir, he uh, stated that his time on The Bachelor actually helped him realize he wasn't gay. He said he questioned his sexuality in his early 20s, the result of being bullied growing up. The bully said he was gay, and he says he believed it, but The Bachelor straightened him. So it now moved? it's a year later, and he's... Uh, it, it moved at some point. Is that what happened? I don't know. It doesn't say that. What a lovely term. What a lovely suggestion. Poor, confused young man. Figure out what you are and get back to us. Get back to us. I wait, would wait, think, wait. Don't get back to us. I would think, if you've, ever, if you've never seen The Bachelor, all the dudes and all the women are all super hot. And so yeah. I would think if you sit in a hot tub with a dozen different chicks in bikinis and feel no, no, no attraction... You'd have a pretty good sense of things. Yes. The average straight man in a hot tub with a really hot chicken and bikini, you're going to have thoughts. If you don't have any of those thoughts. In in fact, you would have to work as hard as you would have to achieve some sort of Zen state unknown outside Mr. Spock and and the (laughs) Buddha to not have a physical reaction. Yeah. Mm. And to concentrate with all your might. Nice job, Bachelor. <laughs> yeah, try, try to get a straight guy. Huh? <laughs> I mean, as long as you're pitching love between a man and a woman, try to get a dude who has the slightest interest. Speaking of John Boehner, as I make my way through his book on the House about his life uh, in politics and the Speaker of the House for the Republicans uh, back in the day, um, fascinating story. I can share with you in hour three, and I will put it to uh, Joe and all the rest of you whether or not you believe it, because it, it's pretty out there. Hmm. Now I'm intrigued. Uh-huh. I was considering pumping in a CD. I think I'll stick around. It involves a knife, so stay tuned. It's oh, not boy. politics.
It's knife fights. Plus, more and more proof that the Black Lives Matter founders are A, Marxist, B, not very good at it, and C, getting crazy rich. Awesome. Er, And nobody in the media will report any of this. That's what's so frustrating. I, need I to can't get mad at my fellow Americans for having a twisted view of reality when that's all that's presented to them in most cases. I need to come up with one of those deals where you fleece people. I know. Seems like a I good know. plan. Did you see the new U.S. Olympic costumes that they unveiled yesterday? I did. I thought they looked pretty good. I thought they looked exactly like what you'd expect the Olympic outfits to look like. So, And like most of them in past years. Yeah. <laughs> fairly sleek, tight-fitting fashion lots for of, lots of red, young people. Yeah, young people in great shape. Yes. <laughs> they would fit considerably different on me. Nice job to Ralph Lauren. Yeah, it wouldn't yes. look the same on me. you got to think that with all clothes. You got jeans that are a little less skinny? <laughs> I need a little room right around there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty.